right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for John chapter 8. I'm going to begin in verse number 29. I left off last week and I covered through verse 31, but kind of want to hit a quick highlight in verse 29 as we pick it up in context. It's been a while. Do you realize it was like, I think July 10th was the last time I was in, I, I was teaching and in John, and the one week I was, we had the uh, uh, Jews for Jesus chosen people ministries here last week. So anyway, verse 29 says, and he who sent me is with me and the father has left me alone for I always do those things that please him. So, um, and he said, and he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now, as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's going back and forth and he's having this dialogue and, and he's giving testimony of himself. And he says in this passage, he says, I always do those things that please the father. And I put a question mark in my Bible next to that. Can you say that? Can I say that? That you only do those things in your life that please the Father? And the reason why I wanted to go back to this was because sometimes we, we look at the Bible as if it's a rule book. That it's a list of do's and don'ts, of rights and wrongs. And, and, and really, we, we, we try to process our, 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 our walk as Christ followers as, you know, what's black and white? What, what, it, what can I do and get away with and what can I not do and get away with? And we want to follow rules and regulations. But Jesus didn't really live that way. Jesus lived to please the Father. And, and this is not a, a book of morals. And, and this is not a book of right and wrong. And you're like, well, wait a minute. There's morals that are in it. There's right and wrong in it. Absolutely. But the morals, the right and wrong is all born out of relationship, right? It's born out of knowing the Father and doing those things that please the Father. And, and the thing is, if you approach the Bible as a rule book, you, you're going to really struggle. You're going to end up legalistic, and you're, gonna, you're not going to have intimacy with God that he desires in your life. Amen? Amen. So, again, once you know Jesus and you put first the very simple simplicity of the gospel is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we approach the Bible and we approach our walk as Christ followers with the intention of falling more in love with Jesus today than we were yesterday, then, then the rules and the regulations, they, they take care of themselves. You know, you know, when they ask Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment? Do you realize that, that, that they really worked hard to come up with a, a, a question that would trap him, that would hook him on the horns of a dilemma? And because of how... Um, amazing Jesus was previously with answers. They didn't just come to him um, with just anything. They got together and they had lawyers and scholars and they had meetings. And when they finally found a question that no matter what he answered, he'd be wrong, they would come to Jesus. And they come to him with this question because the, the, we think of the Ten Commandments, but the Jews had codified the law and they, they wrote uh, um, commentaries on it. And there were 632 different laws of Moses through the law of Moses. And, and if they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Well, if he says, do not murder, well, then what about do not covet? And if he says, thou shalt not lie, then what about thou shalt steal? And no matter what he says, he, he can't cover them all. And then what does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, are you going to steal? Are you going to lie? Are you going to cheat? You're not going to want to do those things. You're going to want to approach God through grace. You know, people sometimes, they're, they're, they're afraid of the idea of us preaching grace. Oh, if you preach grace, 
people in your church, they're just going to live lascivious lifestyles and they're just going to live in debauchery because they just feel like, oh, God's going to forgive me. But you know what? If you want people to love Jesus, you preach grace. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the grace of God that changes lives and that you have a freedom in Christ. And, and when, you, when you approach Christianity as a relationship with a living God, then naturally you, you change who you are. You know, when I, I, was, uh, I was addicted to drugs when I became a Christian at 20 years old. I was full-on addicted. Um, I started using drugs about 17, and by 20, I was in pretty bad shape. Now, thankfully, I had about a two-and-a-half-year run, and, and no longer than that. I got set free at 20 years old and, and, and delivered in Christ. And I would have my phone would ring years later, and it would be one of my buddies from high school. And he would say, Chris, man, how did you do it? And they were stuck in it, and they were wanting to come out, and they, they had seen that I had gotten clean, was, was different. And they're like, what, what did you do? How did, how did you get clean? And, and at the time, I'm like, uh, Jesus? <laughs> you know, and they were looking for something, and I really didn't know, have anything to give them or tell them. And, and at the time, you know, it was the right answer, but it just wasn't super helpful. Jesus, Jesus. But you know what? If I, as I look back, I, I, I didn't intentionally think, oh, I'm a Christian now. I can't do those things I used to do. That's not the way it happens. What happened was I just, I got saved and I fell in love with Jesus. I started going to church. I started reading my Bible and praying every day. And, and next thing you know, like six months had passed. And I was like, I haven't been high like in six months. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, and, and I just didn't, and it not because, and I didn't feel like, oh, man, you're a Christian now. You can't do these things. You can't drink and smoke and hang out with girls who do or chew. You know, like. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the way I processed it. I, I just naturally didn't want to do those things anymore. It just wasn't who I was, amen? So I just wanted to um, encourage you. I didn't want to leave that from last week's message. Then we go on to verse number 31, and it says, And Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Everybody say with me, abide. Now listen, this is a great Bible word, abide. It's actually my life verse and my, my, my favorite kind of concept in the Bible. The word abide is in the New Testament 34 times, and 31 of those times is in the Gospel of John, because that's a John word. In John chapter 15, in verse 4 and 5, he's talking about this concept of abiding, and he says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So Jesus said to abide in him. And then here in, in John chapter 8, Jesus says in the very same vein to abide in his word. And so we have this abide concept in the word in Jesus. Now listen, abide for me was, the reason why it's my life verse and my Bible verse is because I was in Bible college, first semester, and we had a guest pastor and he came and he shared John 15. And, and this concept to me was, it, it simplifies Christianity. It simplifies um, my walk, because there's so much to know, there's so much to learn. And I was looking to God for something that I could just wrap my mind around that was easy. And the concept of abide is so easy. What do, you, what do you have to do to be a good Christ follower? Do you have to go down to the Mexican border and in Tijuana and help Ukrainian refugees? By the way, what are Ukrainian refugees doing in Tijuana? <laughs> that was my first reaction, but they had to get to Tijuana, and then they had, took them like 
they had to be on the Tijuana side for processing, and it was taking them weeks to process them, and then they could get processed and come over. And, but they were just living in that tent village, and so we went down and, and loved on them. Do you, um, you know, to be a good Christ follower, there's so many things. But this, this idea, listen, let me give you this. Two, two quick, quick ideas that you can just abi- abide, that you can wrap your mind around that will simplify how to, how to walk with Jesus. The Bible says, abide in me, abide in my word, and it says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And so as you just abide in Jesus, all you have to focus on is everyday Jesus. I told you last week about one of the pastors, actually one of the San Diego pastors. He just has amazing opportunities in his life that he's just, you know, he's traveled the world with Billy Graham. He preached the gospel to kings in India and just I mean, always something crazy going on in this guy's life, some amazing opportunity. And somebody said to him, how do you get all these opportunities and all this stuff to do for Jesus, all this huge, big Pauline-like stuff? And he said, well, I get out my calendar every year, and in January, I mark every day of my calendar, all 365 days, and plan out my year. I'm like, wow, that's good. That's all that happens? He said, yes. He said, on January 1st, I write Jesus. On January 2nd, I write Jesus. January 3rd, I write Jesus. And he said, every day I get up and I abide in Jesus and I spend time with Jesus and he opens doors and, and he leads me and he guides me. And, 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 and then when I'm looking for opportunities, when I'm presented opportunities, I walk through the open doors that God has laid before me. And so abiding, like Sam shared in his testimony, and believe me, I, it's near and dear to my heart because my, my, my very own brother who um, I got saved at 20, my brother's 10 years older than me, he got saved at 20. And was kind of instrumental in, in my faith and, and, and in leaning that. But he walked away from the Lord. Walked away from the Lord for 20 years. Came back to Christ at 40. He's a pastor today. God's redeemed him. God restored the years the locusts have eaten. He's just on fire for Jesus today and, and, and really um, being used by God in an amazing way. But at 40 years old, he went through a midlife crisis kind of situation and life was falling apart. And he recommitted his life to Christ Moved in with me at 40 years old, separated from his wife and his family, and he struggled, struggled for a season. Him and I weren't, weren't always getting along as that, that great during that season either, you know, and trying to mentor him, but he was still my brother and still got on my nerves, and I still wanted to punch him from time to time. Sometimes we might have punched each other, I don't know. But, um, you know, I watched him. He, he made a commitment somewhere in that season that he was going to read his Bible and pray every day. It was the only major change he made in his life. And he, he was faithful to it. And, he, and every day of his life, he read his Bible and he prayed to this day. And, and I watched firsthand just this radical change. Something so simple, yet so profound. Because you know what happens when you read your Bible and pray every day intentionally and, and you're, you're, you're committed to it? You fall in love with Jesus. And that's what it's all about, you guys. That's what Christianity's all about. Be the Christ follower is all about. Loving Jesus, knowing him personally and intimately. And yeah, there's some regulations, there's some rules, there's some morals, there's some things that God wants us to walk in and abide by. But you know what religion does? Religion tries to focus on all those rules and regulations and all the rituals and all the stuff, and and you lose sight of the God that you're serving. You know why God created you? For his good pleasure. Does that offend you? Does that offend you? Then when you're God and you create a universe, you do it different. <laughs> but in the meantime, you're stuck in this one, and that's how he did it. 
But when it says he, he created you for his good pleasure, it means that he wants relationship with you. He wants to know you. You know, one of the pastors was going to get away and pray and fast, and he was the pastor of a big church, and some of the elders got together with him the day he was leaving, he was just going to go up in the mountains with just his Bible and a bottle of water, and one of the pastors prayed over him, and he said, God is desiring to meet with you on the mountain, and the senior pastor of the church was taken back by that, a little offended, he's like, who am I that God is, is really anxious to meet with me on this mountain, what's that guy talking about? And as he got up on the mountain and he just really fasted and prayed and spent time with God, and God spoke to him, I was really excited to meet you up here on the mountain. I wanted to spend this time with you because God wants to spend time with us. Amen? Amen. He loves you. So, um, so he says here, if you abide in my word. Now, that was a lot about abiding in Christ. That was about the abide concept, what I just kind of went through. But I want to add the emphasis now of the word. Because in this chapter, you're going to see repeated many times where Jesus is going to mention, and this is Jesus talking, right? I don't have a, a, a red letter edition. You got your red letter edition, guys? Lots of red letters in chapter 9, right? Or chapter 8, I'm sorry. And Jesus is talking, he's going to say, my word, the word, the word. Because listen, you can't abide in Christ apart from the word of God. You can't know Jesus and, and follow God. You know, people, they, 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 want to, they want to hear the voice of God. And they tell me, oh, I can't never hear the voice of God. And I say, well, are you praying? Are, are you reading the Bible? Uh, well, if your Bible's not open and you're not praying, then you're going to have a harder time hearing the voice of God. But I want to tell you something that God is really, really good at. Everything. But besides that, he's really good at speaking to his people. He's good, at, he's good at communicating with them. And if there's a communication problem, it's not on God's end, it's on our end. But it has to be with an open Bible. Read your Bible and pray every day. Say it with me. Read your Bible and pray every day. You guys think, oh, what am I, in Sunday school? <laughs> no. That might sound elementary. But I'll tell you, that, that's the, one of the most profound things that, that we can share. Because it will change your life. Amen? And then he goes on, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What, what is the truth that makes us free? Do you remember Pontius Pilate? He asked Jesus a pretty pointed question. He said, what is truth? And Jesus, in John 14, he tells us what is truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And freedom is in Jesus. You know, some... Um, Higher education and colleges and learning, they, they like this verse. You'll see even secular colleges quote this, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And they spin it to mean that higher education and knowledge and knowing things will set you free. But they miss the context because that's not what sets us free. You can know all you want. You know, some of the smartest people in the world aren't very wise or practical. But it's Jesus because he's going to tell us what the truth is and he defines it for us um, down in verse 36, he says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? Jesus sets you free. You know, I shared the testimony of, of a minute ago about being drug addicted at 18 years old. Any of you guys share that same story with me? And you have testimony. I could bring you guys up one by one. And you can share testimony how Jesus has set you free. Amen, amen, amen. 
I was going to bag on the rest of you that didn't raise your hand and what your hidden sins are, but I'll let you pass. Don't be, don't be holier than thou, not me. In verse 33, Jesus said, they, an- or they answered him, Where are Abraham's? We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. And how can you say you will be made free? Because Jesus said, If you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. They said, We've never been in bondage to anybody. Now, did they bump their heads or what? They were in bondage to Egypt. They were in bondage to Babylon. They were um, in bondage to Assyria. At this very moment, they're in bondage to Rome. And yet this arrogance, and maybe in a spiritual sense, this is somewhat true. And one of the really phenomenal things about the Jew and about Israel and about the power of God working through his chosen people. Because on another hand, they they were always in bondage. They were always um, under some kind of oppression. But um, spiritually speaking, this is the only people group in the world that was dispersed around the world, had no homeland for 2,000 years, yet they kept their ethnicity, their culture, their language, their pride, their religion, and God miraculously, Ezekiel 36 and 37, gathered them from all four corners of the world and brought them back to their original ancient homeland in Israel in May 14, 1948. And so in that sense, I guess, you know, they, they've kept God at the forefront. And then he said, and Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. I just got one word in my Bible next to this, truth. And I just want to remind you really quickly from what Jesus said here. Whatever sin is in your life, you don't own that sin. That sin owns you. And it will create bondage in your life. You know, I don't want to be in bondage to anything. You know, I really, really, really like chocolate pie. But I don't want to be in bondage to it. And I don't want to be in bondage to anything. But whatever is sin in our lives, and listen, you can't flirt with sin. You can't regulate your sin. I'll just cut back and do it less. It'll never work. It'll only grow and it'll only enslave you and, and, and create bondage in your life. You know why we sin? Because it's fun. There's pleasure in sin. Moses said there's pleasure in sin for a season. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. You know, we don't poke sticks in our eyes for fun. It's not fun. We do things that think we think bring us joy, but it only creates bondage. And Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that joy that you think you're finding in your sin, Jesus is offering it to you in, in walking with him and abiding in him. You know, I thought I was partying when I was 18 years old. But man, the first time the Holy Spirit came on me and just, woo that was the first time I was ever really high. That was the first time I was ever really partying. And that, that feeling is contagious. And that's a bondage that I do want. The Holy Spirit just filling me and loving me. And, and that becomes contagious. But again, you can't regulate your sin. You've got to cut it out. If you're going through something, if you're flirting with something, if you're struggling with something, don't regulate it. Don't do it less. Jesus said you have to annihilate it. You have to crucify the flesh. Cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, that's strong language, and Jesus doesn't want us to literally cut our hands or pluck our eyes out, or all of us would be walking around with no eyes and no hands. But he, he, he wants us to understand in radical language that sin has to be crucified. Because, and, and, and why? You know, I don't really have time for this. This isn't in the notes, but let, let me try to unpack something really quickly. 
I think sometimes we, we view sin as, as some arbitrary list that God came up with one day. Like he woke up and he said, okay, well, these things are bad. Well, he woke up. I don't know. He doesn't go to sleep. But he woke up and these things are bad and these things are good. So here, people, don't do these things and do these things because uh, this, that's the way I decided to make it. But do you realize that's, that's not why God doesn't like sin? That's not why God hates sin? That's not why God wants to, you not to be in sin? It's because you're his child and he loves you. And the things that he put on the sinful list are the things that will destroy your life. And our young people need to understand that. You know, they think God's some kind of killjoy. They, they, they're not supposed to do this or that because God doesn't want them to have fun. That's not, that's not the case at all. God does, God's okay with us. And he wants, he wants you to have joy. He'll give you the very joy that you think that you need to leave him in the closet to find. And, and sin is because it's harmful. It's like, you know, in another analogy, it's like you don't let your kid play in the street because you love them. Oh, I love them. Just let them do what they want, what makes them happy. No, if your kid's in the street, you tell them to get out of the street. And so God says, stop those sins because I love you, and those things will destroy your life. And if you continue in your sin, it will create a bondage that will destroy your life, will destroy your family. God doesn't want that for you. He wants joy for your life. He wants, he wants victory over your, over your sin. Amen? All right, I got to move fast, but we're going to get through this. 34 says, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And for 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So just the difference between being born again and, and having knowledge of God, because you guys are all here in church. So maybe we assume just because you came to church here, you're all going to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, just because you're in church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. And, and so in this context, a, a slave can be kicked out of the house at any time. But as a son of God, as a child of God, you have eternal security. But you must be born again. I think it was uh, Greg Norman, the old 70s rocker, that used to say, you know, if you go in your garage, that don't make you a car any more than going to church makes you a Christian. Christian is who you are as you surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you become born again. And that's the idea there. And then he says, therefore, if, a, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Who's the Son? Jesus. Before he said, if the truth makes you free, is this a contradiction? Which is it, the truth or the Son? It's the same thing, right? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Son. It's Jesus and it's relationship with Jesus that makes you free. Amen. And then in verse 37, he said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word had no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, I think Jesus is going to get a little gloves off here, and he does that from time to time. You know, I, I use the term fighting with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I catch myself saying that, and I, I always want to back that up a little bit, especially in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, chapter after chapter after chapter is Jesus encountering the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious folks of his day, and having these kind of disputes that we're finding here in this, in this chapter. And, and, and I would say Jesus, is, again, is fighting with the Pharisees, fighting. I just want to be careful with that term. I, don't, I wouldn't say he's fighting with them. Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine. So if he was fighting with them all the time, then he would be casting pearls before swine. He is still doing ministry. So even though maybe I read it with a certain intimation, I think in the heart of Jesus, in this context of him sharing with these guys, that he's still trying, he's, he's ministering, he's trying to witness to them. 
And he's doing it in love. And, and again, I think we read it. And the minute he's going to say, you know, some pretty gloves off stuff, like he ain't messing around. Not stuff that we're, you know, Sam and Kim, and they're going to take an evangelism class of how to go street evangelize. They're not going to use this stuff. You devils! You're all devils! That's what he's going to tell them. Or your father's a devil. But so, I, so again, I just wanted to kind of parentheses there, parenthetically just say that Jesus is still speaking in love. Paul tells us, speak the truth in love. And as a Christ follower, that's a fine line we got to walk. We want to tell people the truth, but we want to do it in love. And, and, and if you don't have love, you're not going to reach people. And if you don't have truth, you're not going to reach people. And if you're all love and no truth, you're not going to reach people. And if you're all truth and no love, you're not going to reach people. And so Jesus spoke the truth in love. And then he said in verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, one God. That's what the left always does, right? When they have nothing more intelligent to say, they just start insulting people. When you run out of intellect, you just start insulting. And so, you know, the, the thing that Jesus would have grown up with was that people knew, they, they counted the months between the time that Joseph and Mary were married, and they realized, uh-uh, that boy was born before they were married, and so they would always accuse him of being born of, out of fornication. Um, but we know that he was virgin born. And then in verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Okay, really simple litmus test for you guys. Okay, and this is not out of condemnation. This is just out of concern and, and just sincerity. He says here that if God is your father, the result of that, if you're a Christian, the result is that you're going to love Jesus. Amen? You know, that's the thing I like to, I like to, you know, I, I don't, I, I get away from the term Christian a little bit um, nowadays. I didn't used to, but, um, you know, it's kind of getting hijacked, that term, and it means a lots of things, and you kind of have to define it. Because lots of people fancy themselves as Christian, and so then people would, would you know, over the years, you know, it used to be, oh, I'm a born-again Christian, or I'm a born-again spirit-filled Christian, or I'm a born-again spirit-filled Christ-led Christian. You know, like, and it keeps, keeps going, I get it, you know, because you, got, you have to define it. You have to define it. But here it's defined for you. If you're a Christ follower, if you love, if, if you know the Father, if you have the Father, then, you, then the natural result is we're going to love Jesus. And then in verse 43, he says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to what? My word. So emphasis again, my word. Again, when the Holy Spirit repeats a phrase multiple times in a chapter, it's there on purpose. And we're going to see the, the idea of the word being repeated. The word, the word, the word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. Like he's not messing around. Your, God, your dad is Satan. Now, he didn't sound like that, right? And he says, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was, now, he's going to tell us a few things about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. We call, we call Satan the father of all lies. And, and so here, you know, and the result is just this. He says, if God is your father, the result is you're going to love Jesus. If Satan is your father, you're, you're going to naturally do the things that, that, that he lies to you about. You're going to follow the things that are coming out of Satan's um, mind and, and, what does he say, of, of Satan's own resources. You know, and that's true of, of, of the world, right, as we look around the world. 
You know, and people, people, if you're not a Christ follower, there's only two categories, the saints and ain'ts. You're a saint or you're an ain't. And if you're an ain't and you're not a Christ follower, then you, you may not say, oh, I, I, I follow Satan. But inadvertently, he's, he's the God of this world, little g. And, and religions of the world, if they're not in Christ, ultimately their designer and their God is Satan. And so what do you see? You see the same underlying factors in, in different religions where, where, you know, they have the name of Christ, but they don't know Jesus and they're not born again, spirit filled Christians. And, and what, you know, one of the factors you find oftentimes is anti-Semitism because Satan hates the Jew. And so people that, that, that don't know Christ, they're going to just naturally, maybe not even know why, they're just naturally going to hate Jews and, and on and on and on down the line. And then he says in verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? There's another one. In the last, in verse number 29, remember he said, I always do the things that please the Father, which none of us can say. We want to say that. Hopefully we have that heart and that idea. But then, then he says, which of you can convict me of sin? Any of us want to stand up in this room and say, I'm without sin. You know, there's a movement um, that, that's kind of a denomination and and the idea is that, that you can achieve full sanctification here in the flesh. And, and, and there was a young man in our church, great young man. I love him still to this day. And he got involved with this church. And they're, they're up north somewhere in, in California. And, and he told me from his own mouth, oh, I haven't sinned in years. And that's what his, what his church is teaching. And, you know, and our goal is to not sin. I'm not saying that we just, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. But, but listen, we're, we're going to sin daily. Sanctification, we're not going to achieve it here in the world. You know what you do when, if someone's a part of that movement and that idea, and they tell you, oh, I don't sin anymore. Just start picking on them. Start telling them their mom's fat or something. And <laughs> no, don't do that. That's what, my flesh, that's what my flesh wants to do. So then I get them angry, and then right in front of me, I'm like, oh, you just sin. Man, what do you mean you don't sin anymore? You know, like, but that, that's, that's not the Christ-like thing to do, huh? I was like, whoa, did I just say that out loud? But Jesus could say that. Jesus was sinless. Perfection. You know, you know the fascinating thing to remember about Jesus? In order to be sinless, which he was, sinless perfection, he had to complete and fulfill the entire law of Moses. His entire life. Never break one iota from the law of Moses. He was under the law of Moses until he died on the cross. And one person that fulfilled it. That's, that's phenomenal. I don't know if his brothers and sisters thought that. The ones that had to live with him every day, but... In verse 47, it says, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, again, that concept is near and dear to my heart. God is good at speaking to his people, and God's people will hear his voice. And I'm not saying like, you know, oh, you know, God said to me the other day, hey, Chris. And I said, what, God? And he said, well, what are you doing over there? And I said, God, I'm, you know, not, not talking like that. But I, I know God's voice. I know God's will. I do hear God's voice. God does speak to me. He speaks through his word. More times than not through the word and the written word. But he speaks to my heart. He speaks to me through people that love him and love me. God, God is very capable of, of communicating to me. He convicts me of my sin. I know in my heart when I'm sinning and I've done wrong and I need to repent. And 
need to ask for forgiveness. I hear the voice of God. And you see that in the Bible many times, especially here in, in John's gospel. We're going to highlight it again when we get to John 10, 27. I'll just read it to you real quick. We're going to get there soon. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And so here he said again, one of the, the, the signs, one of the check marks of being a Christ follower is that you'll hear the voice of God. So you're getting a bunch of them here in chapter 9 to hang your hat on or check yourself with today. And verse 48, and then we got about four minutes left, you guys, and I'm going to try to finish to the end. And I got two biggies at the end. So I'm going to jam through this next section. Therefore, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered them, no, I don't. I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Jesus said, I don't have a demon, but they said, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. And a Samaritan was a dis. It was a half race and stuff. And he, he didn't argue that part. He was probably, you know, he is the good Samaritan in, in that sense. And in verse 40, uh, 50, he says, I, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, again, my word, he shall never see death. Wow, that's bold. If he keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, is Jesus talking about you're just going to live forever and ever in the flesh? No, we understand he's speaking spiritually. He's not promising any of you that you're not going to die. The stats are still the same. Ten out of every ten people die. And, and he's talking about eternal life, and we, we understand that. They didn't understand that. And they said, are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead who do you make yourself out to be and Jesus answered if I honor myself my honor is nothing it is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God yet you have not known him but I know him and if I say I do not know him I shall be a liar like you but I do know him and keep his word again his word and knowledge now again um the idea here that Jesus is emphasizing and that I've been emphasizing is that what is Jesus um, saying to them is the important part about being a Christ follower, about being a Christian. It's, it's not what you know. It's what? It's who you know. It's who you know, knowing the Father, knowing him intimately, knowing him personally, that you know him and he knows you. So we put our emphasis again on who we know. We put our emphasis on, on who delivers us, not what delivers us, not what changes us, but who changes us. And so that's the big emphasis there. Who, who, who are no, 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 K-N-O-W. And then in verse 56, he says, your fa father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Now, how foolish are they? But they could only hear it in the flesh. And they know that Abraham lived thousands of years, 2,000 years before Jesus. Abraham is the halfway point of the Old Testament. And, and so they're like, oh, you're not even 50 years old. I was, I was sharing the gospel with this uh, Jehovah Witness one time. And I told him, um, do you know who killed Jesus? Was it, was it the Romans or the Jews? And, and, and then I told him, I said, you killed Jesus. And he said, I wasn't even there, man. 